Chazal actually do say that Chum had dark skin. They, they don't say it in the context of the of slavery. They say it in the context of the of, of, of another aspect of the parsha. It says that Chum was guilty of a violation of the rules of the Teva. In the Teva, humans and animals were supposed to be celibate, and Chum broke that rule. It says Shlosha Shimshu Bateva Vakulam Laku. Three species were guilty of uh, violating the, the the rule of celibacy and were punished. Cham was punished by having lakabaoro, by having his skin be darkened. Yalka Shimoni brings us also that Cham was karumafucham. He says that the that uh, he brings he brings like like the Gemara says it was shimshu b'teva. That's why he was chamumafucham. He also relates it to Noach's curse. But the the question of blackness and slavery are not connected by Chazal. As far as I know, throughout Chazal, slavery is not connected with being black. Slavery was a punishment of Canaan, but it, it, nowhere, is it, nowhere is it related to having dark skin. The, the modern you know, European and American notion that slavery is, is, is black, blacks are enslaved, that's not something that has a very clear root in the Torah. It's actually fascinating. Ibn Ezra already, a thousand years ago, Ibn Ezra brings that there were some who understood that who made the connection between being black and being slaves. The Ezra says, Yesh Omer, some people say, he says, that the Kushim are Avadim, the blacks are slaves, the Kushim, the Ethiopians, the Hayehafech Kushi Oro, can the Negro, can the, can, the, can the African, the Ethiopian, can he change his skin? He was apparently famous for the, the Ethiopians, the Africans were famous for their dark skin. So the Ibn Ezra says, some people say, that the reason the Kushim Avadim, the reason blacks are slaves, is because of the curse that Noah cursed Cham. Says the Ben Ezra, on the contrary, they've forgotten, he says, that the first king, Yachram Abel, Nimrod, was from Kush. It says, the, 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 the Psukim say, that uh, the Kush Yolad is Nimrod, and Nimrod was, uh, was a famous king. He, had a, he, was, an, he was an emperor. So, it, it, apparently, apparently, he says, Kush was not, cur- Kush was not cursed with, with Avdus. Uh, he, he had a king. Rather, he says, and then rather apparently he means, but as it means that the curse of the, as the Pasuk says, the curse of slavery was Kanat, not Kush, not, not Kush, not the rest of Chum's family. So it's not a general curse on black people. If anything, it's Kanat. I don't know what, I don't know exactly what race the Kanan were, but the, because I'll say that Chum was, was, was black in general, dark in general. But whatever it is, says Ibn Ezra, that this connection between blackness and slavery is not accurate. It was only one specific family of one specific family of Canaan that was cursed with uh, that, that, that was that, that was cursed with slavery. It's not a general curse on the part of Chum. So, so what I want to discuss tonight is the are, are the twin questions of the Torah's attitude toward slavery and and the Torah's attitude toward racism, particularly anti-black racism, anti-dark skin racism. Uh, what is the Torah's attitude toward slavery and what is the Torah's attitude toward racism? The former question is clearer than the latter. It's, it's actually not going to be so clear. The, trying to figure out what the Torah's attitude is on racism is going to be a somewhat more ambiguous question. The Torah's attitude on slavery actually is pretty clear. There are entire psukim in the Torah that deal with slavery. In halacha, the way we, the way, the way we, the, there are two types of slaves in the, in the Torah. There's Ebed Ivri. Where one Jew, where a Jew is a slave, and there's Evid Kanani, where a non-Jew is a slave. Evid Ivri, it's called a slave, but in, in many ways it's more like an indentured, indentured servant, or all kinds of protections for him. You have, to, you have to treat him the same way you treat yourself in terms of food and lodging and so on. Make him work, but other than that, he's he's treated with uh, fairly humanely. 
Ebed Knani, it says, the Torah says, you can, it says, Ebed Ivri, you cannot, you cannot make work Befarech. Ebed Knani, you're able to make work Befarech. And the Torah says, Visnachaltimosim, Lufnechem Acharechem. It says, you can buy slaves from the non Jews, you can pass them down as an inheritance to your children. Laolam Behem Tavodu, you can, as opposed to Ebed Ivri, who goes out, Beshesh, uh, in six years, and the Ebed Knani is permanent. Laolam Behem Tavodu. The Torah clearly acknowledges and accepts the notion of slavery. The Torah is not abolitionist. The Torah clearly accepts the notion of slavery. As a matter of fact, there is a Gemara in Gittin. The Gemara brings a machlokas, Tanoim and Amoraim, whether you're even allowed to free your slaves. Not only don't you have to free your slaves, the machlokas whether you're even allowed to. The Gemara is non-Jewish slaves, Evakinani. The, the status of Evakinani is really in between. He, 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 he's obligated in certain mitzvahs like a woman, you are supposed to give him a bris milah. If you ever do free him, he becomes totally Jewish, like a ger. But he's not totally Jewish. He's, he, he's, in, a, he's in a kind of uh, semi-Jewish status while he's a slave. Rav Yudah says, avdo over If you free a slave, you've been mevatel and aseh, you violate the mitzvah aseh. It's a mitzvah aseh to keep your slave enslaved and not to free him. An amazing thing. The Gemara brings him a machlokas. It says it's actually a machlokas tanoim. Rishmal says it's an option. Unlike Everett Ivory, who you have to let go after six years, Evakinani is Rishus, you don't have to, but it's Rishus, you're allowed to keep him as long as you want. Rabbi Kiva says, like Rabbi Dumashmuel says, Chova, it's an obligation to, to work. You're not allowed to let your Everett Ivory free. So the Mara says, Rabbi Eliezer also says Chova, he, he, he also says Chova. Rabbah says that there are three matters that cause Balabatim to, to, lose their, to lose their assets, to become poor. One of them is that they emancipate their slaves. So, Limar brings numerous opinions, several opinions, that it's actually wrong, it's usher to free a slave. Rabbi Shmuel disagrees. Rabbi Shmuel says, Rishus, you're allowed to keep them enslaved, but you don't have to. But, but several, several other opinions say, Chova, that you're not allowed to free your slave. We paskin like this. The Rambam paskins, all of them tavodu is a mitzvah. The, the Shulchan Aruch paskins this way. Shulchan Aruch, even though he doesn't bring things that are not in the Gelemaisa, the Shulchan Aruch actually has Hilchas Avadim. And he paskins there, like, like the Rambam, like Rabbi Kiva, Hamashacharis Avdo, over Baaseid, Lolomahem Tavodu. It's a mitzvah, I say, you, you violate if you free your Evan. Jews actually did have slaves in the medieval period, and even in the early modern, even in the 16th century, the Renaissance era. The Jews in Islamic countries and the Ottoman Empire, they had slaves. There are numerous chuvas in the Akronim that deal with Jews owning slaves. And they, they, they still practice slavery. So the, it's actually a mitzvah say, not, we paskin, not to free a slave. Why is that? What, what's the issue? So the Sefer Chinuch says something uh, a little hair-raising. It's a little hard, I think, for us to uh, relate to this in the modern, in the modern era. The Chinuch, who always gives Tamei HaMitzvah, explains as follows. He says, Jews are the Amanivchar, Jews are an elite <laughs> nation. Jews were created to, to recognize the Kodesh Baruch Hu and to serve him. And they have to have, they have, to have servants, he says. If they, if they want to be able to devote their lives to higher purposes, they have to have somebody taking care of them. If Jews, if Jews would have only Jewish servants, he says then those Jews would be unable to fulfill their, 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 their purpose and to, 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 to devote their lives to spiritual pursuits. Therefore, the Torah told us, take non-Jewish slaves. And that's why the Torah says, don't free the non-Jewish slave, because you have to have some slave, and if you start freeing the non-Jewish slaves, you're going to have to wind up using Jews as servants. And that would be unfortunate, because Jews have better things to do. 
Therefore, he says, slavery is, is, is a desirable state of affairs because someone has to do it. It might as well be them. The Torah says, make sure to retain them in slavery so you won't have the need to enslave your fellow Jew. That's why the Torah contrast says, don't enslave your, your fellow Jews. Instead, enslave the Goyim. From the Goyim, you can enslave them. And don't let them free, because then that will push you to wind up forcing Jews into, into servitude. Okay. And the Chidduch says something very interesting. The Gemara, when it discusses the mitzvah, according to some opinions, not to free a slave, the Gemara brings a story. It says that he once entered Shul, and there was not a minion. He freed his slave to make a minion. We, 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 we go to great lengths to get a center, to finish a minion. He freed his slave. How could he do that, the Gemara says? You're not allowed to free slaves. And Rebbe himself is one of the ones who says, uh, Chova, you're not allowed to free a slave. So the Gemara says, Mitzvah shiny. There's a dispensation to free a slave in order to fulfill a mitzvah. So the Rishonim ask, what does that mean? Can I not put on tefillin because I want to get a minion? I want to do a mitzvah? Can I you know, not take a lulav in order to get a minion? If, if, if somehow by, by giving up lulav I could uh, get a minion. Do you do that? Of course not. These are mitzvahs that say midaraisa. You can't be mavatl mitzvah that say daraisa to get a minion. So what kind of hatter is this? So, since when can we be over a mitzvah in order to get a minion? So there's a Ramban, the Rishonim bring the Ramban says that the, he has a terror to la'olam tavodu means it's similar to the mitzvah of Losachanim, the Avera of Losachanim. Losachanim has several meanings. One of them is you're not allowed to give a matnas chinam, a free gift to a non-Jew without a reason. If you have a quid pro quo, that's a hatzer. But just to give a non-Jew a gift for no reason, you're not allowed to do that. But if you have a reason, if it's a quid pro quo, if you, if you want to get something, people give gifts to uh, the mailmen and the bus drivers and the sanitation department uh, workers around the holiday season. Why is that not Losachanim? So some posts can say because it's a quid pro quo. You want him to provide you with, uh, with good service. You're doing it for, for an ulterior motive. That's okay. So the whole Isser, even though normally you can't just do an Isser because of Dark Eshal, and you can't, vi- you can't eat treif to make uh, a non-Jew happy with you, to make him feel, feel warm toward you. But the Isser of Losachanim, the, the specific Isser is, don't do it for no reason. If you have a reason, you can do it. So the, so the Ramban says that's, that's the Isser of, of Lolam Tavodu is a similar Isser. Even though he's not totally a non-Jew, since he's somewhat non-Jewish, don't give him the free gift of his freedom. But if he pays you for it, or if you're doing it for your own purposes, because you want a minion, that's fine. It's not chinam anymore. That's how the Ramban understands the dispensation of mitzvah. The Chinuch says something a little different. The Chinuch says, according to his Mahalach, he says the whole reason that, that you're supposed to enslave the non-Jews is to avoid enslaving Jews so Jews can be free to be over Hashem. If freeing the slave will help you in your avodah Hashem by getting a minion, that itself is a reason. Even though you can argue that uh, freeing the slave has consequences for years in the future, for one minion, it doesn't sound like a very cost-effective trade. I don't know if you need him for a minion every day, but uh, you might have thought it's still not a very, it's a very effective trade, but that's what the Chinuch says. The principle is the whole reason for not, for not freeing an Eved is to promote your ability to be, to, to, to be over Hashem. If you're goof of freeing him in order to be over Hashem, then uh, that's okay. Well, according to the Ramban, certainly not. According to the Ramban, the Isra is like a Losachanim kind of Isra. There's certainly no Isra if he's willing to pay for it. According to the other Rishanim, mean, is it clear from the Gemara that if he pays, you're allowed to free him? I, I don't remember. I'm not actually sure about that. It's a, it's a good question. I, I should have looked that up. But 
The Chinuch Tzvar is still a Chinuch. You know, the, the, you know, the Mitzvah of Shabbos is to remember Bria Sa'olam. I can't be Mechal Shabbos just because I have a way of remembering Bria Sa'olam in a super, to go to a movie about Bria Sa'olam. That's not a heter. You can't just, when the Torah gives you a halacha, you can't just say, well, the Toelis of the Mitzvah is X. So if I can violate the mitzvah and do Y, you can't do that. It doesn't work like that. Mitzvahs are mitzvahs. This mitzvah, the Chinuch says, for some reason, you're allowed to make these cheshbonos and say the whole point of the mitzvah is to promote my ability to be over Hashem. And then this is a more effective way of, uh, this is a more effective way of being over Hashem. So I can do this in order to, uh, in order to promote uh, Avodah. The truth is, for, in, in, for Shabbos, we have a similar svar. We say, one, the Gemara brings a svar, the reason you're allowed to Machal Shabbos to save a life is mutter, is, is mutter Lachal Shabbos Achas, Almanas Lachayim Shabbos Harbe. In the long run, I'll get more and more Kiyom of Shabbos. That, that's a fairly narrow svar that you'll actually do more more Kiyom Shabbos in the future. To free an Evan totally, to get a minion, and, and to forego the whole idea of keeping him enslaved still seems like a Chiddush. I'll call upon him, that's how the Chinuch understands that keeping non-Jews in slavery is good because it allows us, to, we are superior people, we have better things to do with our, with our life, we can be over Hashem, so it's appropriate to keep them in slavery in order to enable us to be over Hashem. Again, it's, it, it's, it's a little jarring to our modern sensibilities, but that's how we paskin that the Olamem Tavodu is a, is a mitzvah, it's actually a good thing, and uh, all of them tavodu is a, is a good thing, and you're not allowed to free a slave without a good reason. The most uh, extensive discussion of the Torah's attitude toward slavery in Jewish sources occurs in the literature of the 19th century during the time of the American Civil War. Right before and during the war, various rabbis in America discussed slavery, discussed what the Bible, the Torah, Judaism's attitude toward slavery is, and we find rabbis were split. Now, America was not a, uh, a country of great minicham at that time. The, the, in, in the 1860s, the, in, in the, 1860s the, 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 Amer- the American Rabbanim were not uh, mostly Gedele Torah. Many of them were. Some, some of the ones we're going to quote, many of the ones who wrote on the subject, some of the ones who wrote on the subject were Reform, were not Orthodox to begin with. The ones who were Orthodox, there were some who were staunchly Orthodox, but they're not famous as Gedele Torah. So how representative any of these opinions are of the true, the, the authentic Das Torah is hard to say. But nevertheless, there, there, there are a number of, of interesting, interesting discussions of the topic by American rabbis around the time of the Civil War. And in general, historians have noted the, the opinions of the rabbis tended to reflect the, the society they were in. Rabbis in the South or South often defended slavery, rabbis in the north were often opposed to it, not always one of, the ortho, one of the orthodox rabbis who was opposed to slavery was a rabbi named Rabbi Sabato Marias, he was an Italian rav who had emigrated to the US he was orthodox he gave a sermon apparently in which he spoke out uh, enthusiastically in favor of abolishing slavery he wrote, he said not the victories of the union but those of human freedom we celebrate what is union with human degradation. He says, who would again affix his seal to the bond that consigned millions to that? Not I, the enfranchised slave of Mitzrayim, etc. He writes, thy name shall no longer be called Mar- Maryland, but Maryland, from the Lush and Simcha, play on words, Merriness, uh, uh, merriment, for thou hast verily breathed a joyous spirit into the souls of all thy inhabitants. 
he writes that the copperheads, the, 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 the slaveholder sympathizers, were so upset that uh, people would have suppressed him and stopped him from speaking, but he appealed to his constituents, and eventually he was able to speak freely again. So he was one example of an Orthodox rabbi who was anti-slavery. However, other Orthodox rabbis were strongly, or not, maybe not strongly, but were maybe grudgingly sometimes in favor of slavery. They felt it was a matter of property rights, and we had no right to tell the South what to do. Rabbi Bernard Illoui, he was an Orthodox rabbi. He gave a sermon in which he defended the rights of the he defended the rights of the of the slaveholding states to hold slaves. He was he was a rabbi. He was an Orthodox rabbi. He was his shul was he was in um, he was uh, he, he was in St. Louis and Orthodox at the time. He was uh, and, and he gave a sermon defending slavery. He said. We can't blame our brethren of the South when their property rights are being infringed. He says, you know, you, you think slavery is wrong, he says. The, the magnanimous philanthropists, the abolitionists who want to abolish slavery. He says, can they pretend to be more philanthropic than Moses? Moses, he says, uh, he, he never told him to free the slaves. He may not have been personally uh, so in favor of slavery. He never, he never ordered that anybody should free a slave. He, uh, he, for, he, he um, was there ever a greater philanthropist than Abraham? Why did he not set free the slaves which the king of Egypt made him a present of? Why did Ezra not command the Ole Bavel, who had uh, 7,337 slaves? He never commanded them to free them, etc., etc. All these are irrefutable proofs. We have no right. Again, all of them tavodu. It's a pasuk. It's a gemara. I don't know why he has to come to these, uh, the, these things. We, we don't want to quote the gemara. You want to quote Tarash Moksav. The pasuk says, It's achaltem osim lefnechem acharechem. Lolamem tavodu. Irrefutable proofs, we have no right to exercise violence against institutions of other states or countries, even if we personally, our religious feelings are otherwise, he says. He wasn't really defending slavery, but he was defending the, the kind of the state's rights idea, the, the proposition that we have no right to demand that the South give up their slaves, and so on. Another rabbi, Rabbi Morris Jacob Rafal, another Orthodox rabbi, he was uh, also uh, he was he was also strongly in favor of, of slavery. He was this is interesting. He was actually the rabbi in uh, in Bnei Jeshurun uh, in the synagogue Bnei Jeshurun in uh, in New York, still around today. At the time, there was Orthodox. He was Orthodox, and he said that uh, he gave a sermon, a ringing sermon, in which he defended slavery. He said it was uh, very, very much in the spirit of the Bible. He quotes the curse of Cham, Eved Avadim. He talks about, uh, not only that, he says, Noach uses terms like Eved Avadim. Eved must have had a meaning. It must, must have been such a thing as Avdus at that time. I mean, it could have been, uh, you know, a, a, could have been a, a, an immoral thing, but, but he does. He referred to Avdus. Avdus apparently was known. He goes on. He quotes all kinds of, uh, all kinds of uh, proofs about Noach and so on that, that, that he. Uh, he uttered a bitter curse against his descendants that, and to this day it remains a fact which cannot be gainsayed that in his own native home and generally throughout the world, the unfortunate Negro is indeed the meanest of slaves. He says it can't be gainsayed. We already said that Benazra does gainsay it. He says it's a mistake. It's a, it's, it's not, it's a, mis- it's a misunderstanding. But okay. So he goes, he goes on. He says, the scriptures do not condemn slavery. He says, I think you and I had rather continue to take our requirements from, for moral instruction from Moses and the prophets than from the eloquent preacher of Brooklyn, Henry Ward Beecher, a noted abolitionist. He goes on and on and on and on, arguing that the Torah is pro-slavery. His, his sermon was subject to a scathing and funny and bitter rebuttal 
by a rabbi named David Einhorn. He was actually a reform rabbi, but he was a northerner and a, and a passionate anti-slavery person who mocks him and rips him to shreds and, uh, and, and makes fun of him. He argues, much as the modern reform does, that it's not in the spirit, things are not in the spirit of the Torah. He's less interested in the formal halachas of what the Torah has to say. He argues on the Torah's spirits of freedom and of, uh, of the ethics of the Torah. He, he knows a lot more than perhaps than some of the modern uh, reformers do. He, he, and he certainly writes, certainly writes. So all, the, all these 19th century uh, writers and rabbis write in this grand, magnificent style. He goes on for pages and pages trying to argue that slavery is very much against the spirit of the Torah, that, that slavery, to the extent that it's tolerated in the Torah, is bedieved. It's not, uh, it's not an ideal. It's not something that, uh, that, that, that we're proud of. The Torah, really, uh, real, the, Torah, the Torah really tolerates, he says. It, it tolerates it grudgingly, but it's not something we should, we should accept. What can you say? I mean, we just said that we're, we're, we're going. Is yeah. reform As I said, <laughs> I, I, you have to read, to be fair, I, I did not read his entire sermon. It's thousands and hundreds and thousands of words, I think. Yeah, but he quotes yeah, all the psukim and Tanakh. He's kind of understanding the Torah's, you know, Dibra Torah, connected to Yitzhah that the Torah is talking about the reality of that time, but it's not, uh, the, the Torah, but we, we have to follow the, the spirit of the Torah rather than the specific halachas that the Torah codifies, etc. Somebody gave, somebody, gave, I have a cousin who's a conservative rabbi. He gave my father a copy of the Shilas and Chubos of the main conservative post. So he has a Chuba there permitting a Kohen to marry a, a divorcee. And he says, of course, the Torah says a Kohen can't marry a divorcee, but the Torah also says, so which are you going to choose? Right. And, 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 that's, that's how they think. And, 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 and that kind of thinking, it's not just conservative Jews. This is a strain of thought that exists in, in jurisprudence as well, and in liberal jurisprudence. There are those who argue that capital punishment is unconstitutional because it's cruel and unusual. I, it's clear from the Constitution, and it's clear that it was not considered cruel, it was considered acceptable at the time. They say, good, they considered it mutter, no question. But we have to follow the, the ethical principle of cruel and unusual as opposed to the specific rules the Constitution actually sets forth, and therefore we should follow the, 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 the Yisod Hamusari of, of avoiding cruel and unusual as we understand it and not as they understood it. So that, that's what... Again, I'm probably simplifying. That's, I think, what this Einhorn is saying as well. We should follow the, the ethics of the Torah and not the, the, the actual rules the Torah gave. And like we said, like we said that, that's reform, that's reform Judaism. But the halacha, there's no question that, uh, that the Torah, as we said, does tolerate slavery. And, the, and Rav, Kook has a, Rav Kook has a letter. I, I didn't really have a chance to go through it uh, firsthand. Rav Kook has a letter. He was apparently asked by students, the students who were attending university, they, they, they're Jewish students, they, they knew the Torah said... Slavery is fine, but they were they, they were exposed to American. This is about a century ago. They were opposed. They were exposed to American values that slavery is evil and a blot on our, our on our moral history and so on. They asked of Cook, how do we you know, how do we grapple with this? How do we understand this? How do we reconcile our modern progressive worldview with with the attitude of the Torah? So Rav Cook gave an explanation, which I which I, I, the way I saw it secondhand was I think you know typical of his thought. He says the the, the, the Torah. The Torah assumes an, an evolution in, in human society that uh, there were things that weren't right for the that weren't that, that may have worked or may have been uh, workable for the society thousands of years ago. The Torah expects that that humanity should evolve and should uh, ascend in its moral development and sophistication. And today, it's, it's taka wrong to have slaves. Back then, I was. I'm sure it's. I, you know, I didn't see it firsthand. And I'm sure it's a lot more. Uh, it's a lot more uh, subtle and sophisticated than that, but but something like that is is where Cook says that both are true. The, the modern modern ethics are true, and the Torah is of course uh, completely ethical. But 
uh, the, the, the world is a dynamic and evolving uh, and, and, and an evolving uh, construction, and uh, we, uh, we can reconcile both of them. We have given one example with bias, right? We have a gazera that you can have. Polygamy. Polygamy. Discuss that in a minute. I just heard that in Rabbi Breitowitz has a shear up on Sota, right? Uh-huh. Sota also. Well, discussing, so why, what's so wrong with the woman having... Polyandry. It's, it's, it's adultery by the woman. But not for the man. But not for the man. Yeah. So right. It's either either Rukuk or Hirsch. I saw it years ago. I couldn't find it again. But where he says that slavery as practiced in America was wrong. But that's not what the Torah had in mind. Like you, I, I heard across the room, something that the slavery was supposed to uplift the, the slaves, to uplift Cham to the level of shame. And that's, but the way it was practiced in America was wrong. So I, I, have, I have heard such an idea that, that, that people distinguish between slavery and the, as it was envisioned by the Torah and slavery as practiced in America. I, I don't actually have in my notes sources on that, although I have heard that idea before. That the Rambam, people quote the Rambam, that the Rambam talks about how you are supposed to behave with humanity and with, uh, with, with, with a certain sense of common human feeling toward your slaves. And the, the Rambam has a very eloquent, I don't have the text in front of me, but the Rambam does have a very uh, inspiring and kind of very elevated view of how you should treat a slave. And certainly the, yeah, much, of the South, much of the South was not following that. But still, if you work with that approach, you're saying slavery in principle is, is, is okay. It's just, it was, uh, it just, it just that it was uh, practiced horribly. It's kind of like those who say that communism would be a great idea. It's just that, unfortunately, the, you know, the, the totalitarians and the Stalinists uh, were evil. But communism would still be a good idea. That's a valid position. I mean, that, that, that's a legitimate moral position. Slavery, I mean, it's certainly it's a, it's, it's a logical position. But it's, uh, again, not quite in sync with modern notions that slavery is fundamentally and absolutely wrong, but yeah, that, 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 that's another approach one could take. A, a, a partner in Torah, and he asked me yesterday, we say it in Halal, Hallelujah of De Hashem. The art scroll translates, servants of Hashem. He said, I thought Evan is a slave. Yeah. I said, it is, mm-hmm. but today slave has dirty, we're in a dirty connotation because of American slavery. Yeah, so I'm actually not sure. I, I've Clearly often, the Torah doesn't intend us to be slaves of Hashem with whips. And, yeah, so I, I've often wondered about that, whether the Torah really has two different, two different words like we do for servant and slave. Are there two equivalent words in Hebrew, or, or does Evan often Meshari. have the connotation of... It's a Meshari. Meshari, yeah, I guess so. But uh, you know, when we refer to, let's say, all yeah. the... The, all the subjects of a king are, are they're all avadim with a melech do we mean slave again or do we mean subjects which is also a, a relationship which means I have obligations to someone not necessarily that we're maybe they do mean slave maybe, maybe they understood that the king was a totalitarian uh, boss over all his people like so that, that you think? Sort of like, mm-hmm. right. so yeah so, so, so I'll call upon him the the Torah clearly tolerates slaves. We can argue that its version of slavery was more, was more humane. We can argue that there's some kind of evolution going on. But the Torah clearly does, does accept slavery. And it's, it's very difficult to argue that, 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 that slavery is, 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 is considered fundamentally immoral by the Torah. I did find, though, I was very, I was very struck by this. I did find a brief comment by Rameir Simchav Dvinsk, the Semach, the Chachma, a somewhat anti-slavery comment by him. He's going on Parshas Vayigash. If you read the Psukim in the end of Parshas Vayigash, where it describes uh, the events of the famine in Egypt, so it says that by the second year they had run out of cash and run out of cattle, 
and they were desperate for food. So it says they approached Yosef and they said that you know we, that 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 we're you know we have nothing left. They said all we have is all we have is biltim uh, We have nothing left but our land and our bodies, our person. They said Lama namas, you know we have no choice. Why should we die? Purchase us and our land. Yosef, when Yosef responded to them, it says, "Ve'ikan Yosef as kol admas mitzrayim." Kimachum mitzrayim ish today. He bought the land because they saw the land. It 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 it, 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 it notab- it's noticeably omits reference to to the people themselves. Later, Yosef says he does say, "Kanisi eschem hayom." That's admaskim. Even there, he says, "Eschem admaskim." He kind of breaks it into two. So, beginning with the Ramban, a, a, a number of mafarshim suggest that Yosef did turn down their offer to become slaves. He said, "Nope, I'll take your land, but I'm not taking you as slaves." Why would he do that? So, the Nativ, the Nativ in Hamikdaver says it was uh, an entirely you know cold-blooded and self-interested calculation. The Nativ says that if if they become the king, the, the property of the crown, he's obligated to provide for them, and even if they don't work so hard, they, they're not his responsibility. Like we say, all the time. Your animal, your Mizanosavalecha. Now he says they're, they, they, they're, they're sharecroppers. They work for themselves. Not my responsibility. They have to work if they want to eat. It was simply in the king's interest not to have them as slaves. A slave would be more of a liability, he said, than, a, than an indentured sharecropper of some sort. Other reasons for the benefit of Klai Yisrael. The Meshachachma, though, seems to say that Yosef was fundamentally uh, anti slavery. He writes, Yosef Sane Ma'od, it's Kenyan Ha'avdus. Yosef hated very much the, the economic relationship of slavery. Leo Shalat Adnab Adnab Laralo from Kohelas, for a person to rule over somebody else. Laralo, he says, again, maybe that means to his detriment, maybe that means uh, inhumane slavery, but which Paro would have done. Whatever it is, he says, Yosef hated, very much hated the idea of slavery, and therefore he would not buy the people. He said, No, I'm not buying you. I don't believe in slavery. He said, I'm not going to accept your, 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 that the, 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 you should become my slaves. I only want your land. I'm not taking you as slaves. Okay. And a, mod- and a modern interpretation would be because he was one. He knew. He, 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 right, he had personal experience. Uh, right. He had, uh, the Torah, as the Torah always says, that you have to miss a You know what it's like. So one of the Pshatim is, you know what it's like, so you should be especially sensitive. So maybe, maybe that's what it was that Yosef, Yosef hated. Uh, but right. So that, that's an obvious point that he had. Yeah, he didn't have the mitzvah, right? But uh, assuming the mitzvah is supposed to guide us ethically, so it, 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 it's a noteworthy thing. If, if, if the mitzvah indicates that it's... Uh, yeah, it's, it's different also, even la halacha, it's different not buying a slave than buying one and freeing one. There's no mitzvah to buy slaves. There isn't a mitzvah not to free him once you have him. So technically, it's not a direct contradiction to Lalbam Tavodu, but the spirit of the thing, Yosef hated slavery, is, uh, is, a, is, is, a, is a remarkable remarkable statement to make. Just want to speak. Uh, just want to sp- uh, a few words on the topic of racism. So again, the Benezra makes this connection already. Benezra says there were those who said that Cham, black people in general, are slaves, like Rabbi Rafal did, because uh, because of the curse of Cham. Benezra rejects it by saying it wasn't even all of Cham. It was just uh, it wasn't Kush. It was Cham uh, had four sons. Kush and Mitzrayim were put to Canaan. It was the only Canaan. It wasn't Kush. The Kush is the is, is the family we commonly associate with blacks. So the Kushite, Hayahafech Kushi Oro. And Kush was not cursed with slavery. Kush was Nimrod. Kush was uh, Kush was uh, a leading em- a leading emperor. It, it, was, it was only only Canaan that was that, that was that was cursed with slavery, and therefore that disconnects the notion of slavery from skin color. And to the best of my knowledge, even though we mentioned earlier, Chazal do associate Cham with blackness. To the best of my knowledge, Chazal do not draw this draw this connection between 
between blackness, skin color, and slavery. Chazal always distinguish between Jews and non-Jews. Jews are Ebed Ivri and not Ebed Kanani. Non-Jews are Ebed Kanani. To the best of my knowledge, there's nothing in the halakha, there's nothing in Divrei Chazal generally that connects blackness or skin color to slavery. Gayim, non-Jews in general, can be slaves. Maybe Cham and Kanan in particular, but, but there's, nothing, there's nothing to my knowledge in Chazal that ever really connects uh, race or, or skin color to slavery. There are, perhaps in Chazal, perhaps certainly in Rishonim, there are statements which are shot, which, which we would consider shockingly racist by modern standards. Both Rabbi Yudha Levi and the Rambam casually say that blacks are basically subhuman. Rabbi Yudha Levi says that he contrasts, he says people, he says, have different degrees of perfection of certain types of shlemus, he says. He says, he, he contrasts what he calls the, the, on the one hand, he says, uh, he, he talks about the, the philosopher, who's the elevated person, who has a sophisticated mind and a developed intellect. He contrasts him with the kushi, he says, who's incapable of lohuchan liyosir mekibel tzuras adam. All he has is basic humanity, and he has nothing more than human shape and speech in its least developed form. That's the black, he says, the philosopher is equipped with uh, the highest capacity, etc., etc. So he took for granted that, that, the, that, that, that a black is barely human. A black person is barely human, he's just barely human, and has, you know, a, 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 and he has a, a degraded form of speech. Rambam, Rambam writes that the, talks about people on different levels of their theological or religious understanding, the different groups of people who have higher and lower levels of... Uh, of spiritual or intellectual accomplishment, he writes that the he writes that he, he refers to the, he refers to those that have no day of Bashita, Loa Yunis, Flomakubelas, that have no real knowledge and understanding of no real doctrine, he says, like the he refers to Nidche, Haturkim, Hanachtim Batsafon, the extreme Turks that wander in the north, I'm not sure who that's a reference to, and the Kushim, Hanachtim Badarum. The, and the and the, the Kushim in the south and Africa, he says all those in those climates. He says pe- these people. He says have the status of animals. Kedin hachai habilti hoga the 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 dumb the, the the dumb brutes they can't speak, and they don't really even have the status of uh, and, and and they don't really have uh, they're below mankind. They're above monkeys. He says they do have the form and the shape of men. They're lamatim and dregas adam, they're in between monkeys and humans. They're below ordinary humans, they're above monkeys. So th- these are the opinions of Gedoli Harishonim. Again, what to do with this, I'm not sure. I- I'm reminded of the, the famous account of, of Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. He says that when, when man walked on the moon, so he says he was a little disturbed because according to the Rambam's cosmology, the moon is a spiritual entity, it's not a big ball of rock, you shouldn't be able to walk on the moon like a rock. Rambam was all wrong. If he got this wrong, who knows where else he got wrong in his Mishnah Torah and in all his great uh, Torah. So his, his, whole, his, his whole world was shaken, he says, until he thought about it more and he realized, he says, that it's not really a problem, he says, because what the Rambam wrote as a Talmud Chacham, as a Gadol B'Torah, is one thing where he wrote on his own personal, scientific, and philosophical the system, he said, that, that, that was fallible, he says. What he wrote in the beginning of the Yisodia Torah, his cosmology is not based on Jibre Chazal, that's his own, uh, those were his own philosophical speculations. If he was wrong, you know, that, 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 that doesn't impact uh, what he said as Torah. Probably the same discussion, Rabbi Reisman quoted Yaakov as saying that in the first four prakim of the Yisodia Torah, you don't say Rabbi Oh yeah, that, that I did not hear. He also quoted Yaakov as saying 
that he does not understand how any thinking human being could not have been in front of the television on July 20th, 1969. I've heard something similar. I, I've heard in some versions they say Rabiakim was at the television, and this is even further. He said he doesn't understand how anybody could not be, any thinking person could not be in front of the television. Very interesting. That I didn't know. In terms of Brooks of Terror, by the way, and the first four Prakim, so it's interesting because that is kind of the, the mirror image of Rabbi Yaakov Emden has a tshuva about what do, you allow, what, what do you do in the bathroom? You can't study Torah. What should you do in the bathroom? So he says he personally studies Aristotelian philosophy in the bathroom. He says that, that's what he does in the bathroom. Yeah. My drag. Some of us read the newspaper or the comic books. He read Aristotle. And he says, even though Rav Shmuel Ibn Tibbon, you know, the, the arch Maimonidean rationalist, even though they believe that was Maisim Rekavan, Maisim Beratius, meaning it's Torah, and you're not allowed to learn Aristotle in the bathroom, Sharalei Mare, Chasvashal, that that should be considered Torah. So on the one hand, we have Rav Shmuel Ibn Tibbon and the hardline Maimonidean rationalists who said, even Aristotle you can't learn in the bathroom because it's Torah. And you have Rabbi Yaakov saying, even, even you said he had Torah, the first four Prakim, which are influenced by Aristotle, are a Jewish version of Aristotle. Even that, you can, I don't know if you can learn in the bathroom. Well, I'll call it because you can't say Brooks of Torah. You don't say Brooks of Torah. Okay, very interesting. And, and, and on, on Rabbi Yaakov and that subject, at the Vilna Goan, they say Vilna Goan either studied math or wrote a math book in the bathroom. Rabbi Reisman quoted Rabbi Yaakov as saying, I don't believe he sat that long. Right, I, I, that I heard from Rabbi I, I, I didn't remember it was Rabbi Yaakov, but I heard him saying that from someone that, that he, he doesn't believe that, he doesn't believe he spent that much time in the bathroom. Although Rabbi Yaakov Emden says he studied Aristotle. I don't know how much time he had for Aristotle in the bathroom, but uh, he studied Aristotle. That, that Rabbi Yaakov Emden says about himself firsthand, I study Aristotle, I study Aristotle in the bathroom. I'll call upon him. So I, I'm tempted to say something similar about the Rambam and Rehuda Levy about these comments about blacks, that they, they were... Uh, they were not necessarily uh, quoting Torah here. They were, they were quoting their own, which was probably a standard European opinion of the time. And therefore, it, even, even if I have a different opinion of black people, it doesn't have, to, uh, doesn't have to shake my faith. And the rest of what they wrote, the fact that they say things like this about, uh, about blacks. I'll just conclude with, a, uh, with uh, an excerpt of a schmooze by Rabbi Jeremy Weeder. Okay. I'm a great admirer of his. I, I love everything he writes. So he was, uh, he, he had a schmooze in 2016 after the election of President Trump, where apparently he says it was brought to his attention that there were uh, celebrations, the election night party, that there were multiple behaviors that could be understood with very good reason to be racist, I guess. And, uh, this is 2016, so I guess, I guess, that, was, I guess that was right after the Trump election. Um, he says, you vote for whoever you want. He says, you can, uh, they, you know, it's perfectly legitimate to vote, for, to, vote for, to vote for whoever you want to vote for, he says. But he says, you can, you can vote for a candidate, he says, despite his racism, you can't vote for a candidate because of his racism. Racism itself is deeply, deeply immoral. He says, he, as Jews, we should certainly appreciate this. Like we said before about Yosef as a slave, he, uh, he had strong feelings about slavery. As the victims of racism, he says, we should... Uh, as, as, as the victim of, uh, of, racist, uh, of racism, we should be sensitive to racism, he says, and that we, of all, of all people of every nation on the face of the earth, should understand the poison of racism. I don't care who you voted for. I don't care who you think will make the better president for the country or the less bad president for the country. But, but, but to be racist, he says, uh, he says that, that, that that's terrible, he says. He says it's... Uh, he, he says that's terrible. He says, and you have to be he says, he, he says, he, he quotes the Gemara in the story of Kamsa Bar Kamsa. They're going to say the Rabbanim were there and they weren't Mocha and the Shmaminad uh, Nichol, who he says, is, he says, the person has to be, 
Now, the, the, the problem is, the problem is again, there, there are many statements in Armasara that are racist. I mean, not many, but there are, there are, there are statements in Armasara which are clearly racist. The, the question is, the, do we say that, you know, that was a mistake and we know better, or do we say that, right. you know, right. uh, it, it's hard to know. Rabbi Weider, in the course of his discussion, he says, he, he says he once told someone, let's say you meet Hitler in, uh, in, in Shemayim or in Gehenna, he says, you meet Hitler. And he tells you that we both agree that, that some, some people in the world are humans and some are subhumans. We just disagree which are which. You know, I, I think it's the Jews who are subhumans. You think it's maybe the blacks or other people who are subhumans. That's the whole machlokas. You know, who, is this, who are the subhumans, he says. Is that really it, he says? That the whole, in, in, in principle, we have similar positions. It's just a question of we're right and he's wrong. Is that the only difference, he says? That, 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 that's, the, that's our only response because we're right. To, to me, that's staggering. I, I, don't, I don't really understand the power of this argument. You make the same argument about uh, the devout Christians and Muslims who slaughter Jews as a religious, as a religious obligation. We slaughter people as a religious obligation as well. So we all agree that it's appropriate to slaughter people for, under appropriate religious circumstances. We just disagree with who are the people who need to be slaughtered and whether it's pagan Canaanites and Amalekim or whether it's Jews and who, who refuse to accept uh, their savior. So it's the same argument over there. We, we all agree that it's, uh, that, that it's appropriate under appropriate circumstances to slaughter the infidels and the, and the unbelievers. The question is, who, who are the infidels and who are the unbelievers? Is, 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 that, is that a problem? I mean, that, that's what we believe as far as I know. So I don't, I don't really see why, why Rabbi Weider's uh, thought experiment is, is really compelling, although I very much do agree with him that... Uh, that sorry? I should, I, yeah, I, I've discussed similar things with him in the past. I, I, maybe I will. So I'll call upon him, though. I very much do agree with Rabbi Weider's overall uh, the, the power of his, uh, uh, you know, the, the, his, the power of the, his moral authority, the power of his moral case that that uh, that you know the, the, the that, that the racism that that still exists in modern society is often revolting, and that as Jews, we 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 should be both smarter than that and more sensitive to that, and uh, and, and 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 recognize that Salem oh. Kim in people of other races as well.